1: Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes. Hello and welcome, if this is your first time listening. Oh boy, we're in for a really wild time here. Uh, Cinderwell is who we are featuring today. Cinderwell is actually the California-born Amelia Baker, and she makes... Spooky Folk Songs in the Irish Music Tradition. Amelia grew up in Santa Cruz, California in a non-religious Jewish family. Her parents always had music on the stereo, like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Grateful Dead. Music was always on in the house. From a young age, she was drawn to the vibe and the strange stillness of abandoned houses, which somehow has translated pretty well into her music. In high school, she discovered the joy of writing and recording music, and she found that writing put her in touch with the humanness of her favorite musicians. Amelia earned her master's in Irish traditional music performance at the University of Limerick. While in school, she would visit the nearby town of Ennis, first being attracted to the fiddle tunes that she would find there. She talks about what it was like to be able to play fiddle with the local musicians and how their practice of listening to each other changed her own musicality. Her latest album is the much-lauded No Summer. It was recorded in a church north of Seattle, Washington. Among original songs, there are a few traditional tunes on the record. She says, "'I gravitate towards ballads from a strong female perspective,' usually about critiquing men and marriage and the struggle and desperation of being a woman in older times, which makes total sense when you hear the music. We'll take a listen to the title track from her album, No Summer, and then we'll talk to Amelia Baker, who is otherwise known as Cinderwell, coming up on Basic Book.
0: Rain tripping down my brittle dry hair Water, pulling on the concrete the steeple makes shadows dancing with the street lights listening to it sing in a language I don't understand much like my own Much like my own Much like my own
1: Much like my own Amelia Baker, thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you, Cindy. Thanks for having me. You grew up in Santa Cruz in a non-religious Jewish family, from what I understand. Can you just set the scene like what it was like for you where you grew up? Like, how did you like it? I actually am from Santa Barbara. Well, Santa Barbara, also lovely. Very lovely, very beachy, very different than here.
2: Yeah, so Santa Barbara, just north of Los Angeles. It's a beautiful place. I was really into surfing, love to shred. Yeah, the way the non religious Jewish thing, the way can best describe it is, especially to people over here where there's not a lot of Jews, is like Seinfeld, Kirby enthusiasm, this like comedic Jewish culture where there's not a lot of religion, but there's a lot of talk about being Jewish. There wasn't a lot of us in Santa Barbara, but my family was really close knit in that way.
1: And your parents sound like they had some pretty cool music tastes Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Grateful Dead. How did your parents? treat or think of music, like, if it was important or special to them, or if they just didn't really think about it that much.
2: There was always music playing on the stereo there. My dad, back in the day, had a huge CD collection, and uh, now that's gone all digital. But it was the kind of thing where every time we were having friends over for dinner or family over for dinner, the music was on. You know, it was like, queued James Taylor family friends are coming over kind of thing. <laughs> my uncle was, like, the true deadhead. And my dad kind of followed suit, but didn't go quite as far. So there was a lot of the dead in the house, and that culture was, like, a little bit on the periphery. My mom is just still obsessed with Joni Mitchell, and she used to say that she she wanted to be Joni Mitchell, so she, like, took a few guitar lessons and didn't, didn't stick with it. <laughs> I think she was this, like, stage mom kind of wanting her daughter to be Jody Mitchell, which no one
1: could be her, but it's good to strive. The genre of music that you play now has been referred to as gloom folk. Is that accurate? I've seen seen that. Yeah, I've seen
2: doom folk.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Your music has been described as haunting, and I read that you like spooky things, exploring abandoned houses, and you say, I find inspiration in things that have more of a presence and a meaning than what you see at first glance. I'm wondering, like, what your experience with spooky things and, like, exploring kind of off-limits places and loving things that were not as they seem, like, what that experience was like for you. And then how do you think it has translated for you as an adult?
2: I think and that's kind of another thing I got from my mom. She she's always had this interest in houses. we go walk around the neighborhood and she'd kind of be scoping neighbors' houses just for aesthetics, I think. But I remember as a kid staying different places, just kind of picking up on things in houses that felt old. I don't know what it was. It's, it's hard for me to, like, fully describe or put my finger on it, but I like kind of surrealist literature. Just when there feels like there's there's a vibe and I think with abandoned houses I just have this real obsession and I'm not exactly sure where it came from but Mm. I kind of can't get enough of it (laughs) and I have this reverence if I go up to an abandoned house where it's like it's kind of off limits as you said but I'm really interested but I also have a lot of like respect and if I feel that it's not a place to go into
1: I won't go in and I'll just kind of leave it alone right like when you do go in though, what kind of what kind of things go through your mind while you're exploring?
2: There's just this strange stillness in places like that. You feel you feel that people have lived there, but I often don't. I don't think too much about the people or try to I'm not I'm not doing stuff like that to like channel a presence or like get too involved. I think what I like about it is almost like tiptoeing on the edge of it and Yeah, feeling it out without disturbing anything Mm -hmm. and if it feels disturbing either to me or to to the house then I'm just kind of
1: out of there it almost seems like you're trying to like channel the vibe yeah exactly just pick up on on the feeling of
2: it just feel just feel what it's like to be in a space like that that has been left alone but is but still remains there Mm. For some reason, people haven't knocked it down. People haven't rearranged it.
1: You took some piano lessons as a kid, but that didn't really work out. But um, you started writing songs and playing guitar in high school. What was that process of discovering songwriting like for you? It was awesome. (laughs) I think about it sometimes.
2: I had a friend who was like starting to write songs and Play covers and stuff and playing guitar. I, somehow he remembered that I sang in high school and he would force me to sing songs. I recorded with him something. Oh yeah I recorded a Cat Power cover and I'd mm-hmm. never heard I'd never heard myself recorded before and on hearing it back I just thought it was so awesome. It, it made me have this connection that these artists I was really into listening to music and discovering a lot of new artists and it made me realize that they were actually human beings playing instruments. Like I don't, I think they just seemed on this like elevated godly status. Yeah. And when I heard myself back, I realized I could just, I could also record.
1: That's really cool. And I really like how you, you liked the way your voice sounded. You didn't like cringe away. Yeah, I really didn't. I I don't think I'd ever heard it, but I really did like it. And and that's
2: that was kind of the motivation for then writing because I wanted to just sing. And so, yeah, I used the piano to write a bit too. But then if I wanted to be portable and like jam with friends, I had to take the guitar. Right.
1: So you went to high school in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. how did you end up in Santa Cruz? I went to college in Santa Cruz. Good choice. Yeah. It seems it like was... a fun college <laughs> town. Yeah. It was wacky. While you were in Santa Cruz, you were there for four or five years, yeah, there was like a really supportive and creative community making music, and that was hugely formative for you. What were the key philosophies you took away from that time in in terms of like shaping the kind of musician you want to be and the kind of music that you want to make?
2: It just felt really open there. Everyone was like music together just jamming, there was drum circles, there was now what I would think of as song sessions, but everything felt really informal and really inviting. And I met a few girls there, I guess it was my first year of college, and we formed a band. It was just amazing, we were just sharing songs, and it was like meeting people who also had been writing songs in their bedrooms in high school. Yeah, the philosophies were just It felt really easy. You could just play with people, and then there were places to perform. And you didn't have to get really to any level at all to just play on a stage for people and an open mic, usually. And then there was just a lot of support. Santa Cruz has, like, the best audiences. Everyone's really cuddly in the audience and singing along. And so it never felt like there was really any judgment
1: or stuck-upness around it you were taking songwriting inspiration you mentioned cat power um and also people like elliott smith and i'm wondering when did you start getting into traditional fiddle music and what did you like about it were, and were there any kind of like cross did, like the cat power ever cross with traditional fiddle for you <laughs>
2: not yet but i like that <laughs> uh it was in santa cruz also there's this amazing guy there, Jim Oakton. He saw some of the punks busking. We would play on the street, play at the farmer's market. And he would su- see some of my now friends busking, trying to play tunes and was like, all right, you guys need, this is great, but you need a little bit of help. So come over, I'll make you dinner and I'll teach you some contra dance music. And that turned into this kind of weekly thing in Santa Cruz. And at some point I got a fiddle I was always playing just pretty much any instrument that was around, Um, but I got a fiddle and started going to this tunes night. He would teach us, so Contra dance music, as you know, on the East Coast, like is a big mashup of styles. And some of those tunes were Irish tunes. Yeah, but that kind of got me going in this traditional music thing. And then I toured in Europe with Blackbird Rom and met the band Lancome, now Lincoln, formerly lynched, and went over to visit them in Ireland and realized that tombs night happens all the time in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> it's every hour of every day. Every <laughs> night. So I just thought it was the best place in the world.
1: <laughs> Could you talk a little bit more about, you know, you decided to move to Ireland to pursue a master's degree it's a really cool story of like being on tour and discovering that Ireland is the place that you want to be. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about what drew you to the place? Definitely
2: the tunes. I mean, at, at the time that I first came to Ireland, it was pretty much a hundred percent the tunes, definitely spooky element. There's lots of yeah. old, <laughs> lots of old things here, that was pretty unfathomable.
1: I got so drawn in and you're probably over the hot topic spooky, and you were like, "I want the real, I want the mall spooky yeah. anymore. Yeah. I want the real deal." Yeah,
2: get me into that like seventeenth century abbey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I, it, it was like this also drive to to really get better at an instrument, to be able to fully express myself on one, because which I'm still working on, but um, mm. was just. Yeah, sort of jack-of-all-trades with instruments and wanted to know what it felt like to really
1: understand one. That sounds like such a big life decision to make. I mean, th- obviously there are other things going on, but it's like a big life decision to make for one instrument from somebody who plays multiple instruments. So um, can you talk more about your relationship with the fiddle?
2: Yeah, I did feel like a big life decision. And I think part of it was almost... Like, I went to fiddle tunes in Port Townsend for the first time and saw people who've been playing fiddle since they were kids, and I was really jealous. <laughs> I was like, I missed out. I felt like I missed out on something, and I wanted that that feeling. Um, and with the fiddle, it just it got me really interested because it's so versatile. It's in so many folk styles, obviously. So it felt like... It felt like... A language I could learn where then I could talk to lots and lots of different people. And even if I wasn't fluent at all the things, I had like the tool to get in there. Um, so yeah, I'm really just totally in love with it in the way where I also have
1: really hated it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so you lived in Enos, Ireland, and you just recently moved. Well, so I'm. I'm currently visiting in Sheffield, um, but I'm still hanging on to the
2: apartment in Ennis. It's okay. Complicated, COVID era,
1: <laughs> trying mm. to figure
2: stuff out kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So by the time this episode posts, who knows? Who knows um, exactly? Ennis sounds like it was where you first landed in Ireland, and I found out and correct me if I'm wrong that um, Ennis is the friendliest and the cleanest town. In Ireland, like officially won those titles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tidy, Ennis, Tidy Towns, I think are all the signs.
2: I would agree with friendly. I don't know about, I don't know about tidy though, but friendly
1: for sure. (laughs) How did you find the town and how did living there change you?
2: I spent, well, before I moved to the west part of the country, I spent a bunch of summers in Dublin and that's where I first heard about this master's in limerick so I actually was kind of back and forth for a few years but came over to limerick lived there for the first semester of this course heard about Ennis because it was only an hour bus ride away and then I was just there every weekend because the tunes were amazing so I said you know what might as well just get a place there so I can be right in the heart of it it changed me yeah there's a lot of things it's it's kind of like nostalgic almost at this point because it's so quiet there now but at the time sounds like talking about a different decade even though it was just last year but back in the day when there were tunes it really taught me how to listen i think the musicians there just really listen to each other and there can be 15 instruments in a session but the best sessions are when everyone's really hearing each other. Mm. So that, that changed me. It also changed my tolerance to
1: drinking whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. bet. Um, you also talk about having your apartment in Ennis near a Catholic church. Like, how close is this church, and what's that like for you? It is truly close. It's like you can see
2: it from the windows and you can hear it all hours of the day (laughs) yeah strange I think it feels like catholicism is so understood throughout the country and I just completely don't understand it and find it kind of like uh mysterious and strange yeah it feels like this giant like it really feels like it has a big influence um just sonically if anything yeah I kind of like I find myself a bit fascinated with it. Not the religion, wow. but just the, the culture around it.
1: That makes sense for somebody who grew up around a culture of religion. Yeah, exactly. So you were mentioning that you got your master's degree at the University of Limerick, which is there like um, a nickname for the University of Limerick, or do you just have to say that every time you refer to it? UL. <laughs> <You will. laughs> UL and the masters in UL is in Irish traditional music performance and that experience as compared to like immersing yourself in the music of Irish pubs how does each of those experience compare in the way that they impact you and your playing
2: I do think that if you have a good ear and you're ready to just get in the thick of it. I think just being in the sessions is the best way to learn. In NS is really where I feel like I learned music, or I continue to learn music. But UL, it definitely challenged me as a performer, just in general. Like, the nerves of actually playing something and have people actually adjudicating it and typing on the computer was just, like, next level from, you know, playing at the... House shows—you'd have these semester performances, so you'd be like, you know, twenty-five-minute performance, and they'd be saying, "How? Oh,
1: why did you pick a banjo player to play that tune with you?" So, yeah. Oh yeah, very. You're being like graded, basically. Yeah. Evaluated. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In the other place, you're just like building up your tolerance for whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the two don't cross over to. Well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> or they do.
2: Depends.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and going back to the pub sessions and looking for songs like you yourself, like looking for songs to share at these sessions, you started to look for like basically it sounds like songs that were first inspiring you like American fiddle tunes. Um, where did you find a commonality between the Irish music you were hearing and that music that you had learned previously from America?
2: A lot. I mean, well, with the fiddle tunes, I've been really fascinated with. And and songs, like with fiddle tunes and ballads, there's so many that are actually just, <clears throat> they just completely cross over. They're just the same tunes. I found that really interesting. I found that with ballads, I really wanted to sing in the sessions, but there's something about singing Irish ballads where it just doesn't feel... It's like the only way I can describe it is that it doesn't fit in my mouth, like it doesn't quite, like land with me in the same way. Even if the concepts I can resonate with, so when I find these old ballads from people like Texas Gladden or and stuff like that, it just feels like yes, that's the that's the energy huh. I can put into it, and like those words like feel better to say,
1: yeah. I'm learning Spanish right now, so that really hits, that uh, that resonates with me really, because I'll yeah. try to pronunciate the Spanish and it's like, your mouth is like, Ugh. it's not, yeah. yeah, that's wild though that it translates to like, from Irish right, tunes yeah. to American tunes, yeah, that's cool.
2: Even if it's in English, there's something about like, saying the green fields of Aaron, which doesn't always like, feel genuine to me and I think I'm just really connect. like, I'm really sensitive to songs feeling... Truthful or
1: not, hmm. County Clare, which is where Ennis is. I keep mispronouncing the town. Ennis, it's like it's like Dennis. Take away the D. Dennis. Okay, <laughs> I will never forget it. Now, um, County Clare is the center of Irish music, um, and there's this thing that happens with phrasing in County Clare in music, known as the lonesome touch, which. I think it's like a concept when when someone is singing and I was wondering if you could explain that and why you think it resonates with people so much.
2: The Lonesome Touch is something that Martin Hayes has talked about a lot and his music seems to be like this real celebration of it. Claire music is slower. It tends, like traditionally it tends to be a bit slower and less ornamented and less like It's just got this nice kind of you're sitting back and playing it feel. The funny thing, though, is that Ennis, the sessions there are extremely fast. Mm. (laughs) They're actually like, it's a real mix of people from around the country in Ennis. Um, I think that concept's interesting because I don't think it needs to be slow necessarily. I think when someone really is connected to the melody, it can have that feeling. almost Almost like you're singing it singing the tune, even if you're playing at
1: a million miles an hour. So your music gives a feeling of like isolation and loneliness, speaking of the lonesome touch. And it sounds like you spent about six months alone in Alaska. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. How did that time change your relationship to loneliness? And maybe how did it help you understand lonely people and get that to translate in your music mm.
2: I think it was the first time I really felt alone alone you know how you can feel al- lonely as a high schooler or like a hormonal teenager I think oh yes I'd already
1: <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> talking my language <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: even if you're surrounded by people kind of thing yeah Uh, So it was the first time I was not surrounded by people. It almost like built my tolerance up to just hanging out by myself. It seemed really daunting at first, waking Mm. up and being like, who am I going to hang out with? What am I going to do? And then getting into a groove where I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I really felt lonely. I just felt really, really alone and and Mm. ended up kind of digging it.
1: The studio that you recorded, No Summer, which is your new record, which is amazing, it's so good. <laughs> um, the, the studio was in a church north of Seattle that the Microphones and Mount Erie have recorded albums at. How did that environment help you shape the atmosphere of the album and then also like get into the proper spooky headspace? I First of
2: all, I just love The Unknown Studio. <laughs> it's really bizarre and echoey, and there's lots of organs, like, lining all the walls. Um, so we recorded our first album, The Unconscious Echo, there, with, like, a big group of
1: musicians. Oh, it's the same, the same studio for both records? Okay, yeah, I thought I read that, but I wasn't sure. That's cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, we just had to go back, basically, because um, it was such a good experience. And so, going in the second time, I kind of had a sense of the acoustics and of working with Nick. I knew I was going to be spending a couple nights there on my own in the studio, so I had to kind of gear myself up because it's. Nick says it's haunted. What do you say? What do I say?
1: I don't. I don't know if it's haunted. I didn't particularly feel that it was haunted. Do you know what the feeling is like if a place is haunted? Not to get off topic or anything. <laughs> get on the spooky train. Um, right.
2: That's a good question. I'm going to have to come back to you on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: it's my next album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. So, so, okay. And then when you're staying at the church, it does sound like really spooky to stay there by yourself. And I'm imagining you're like sleeping on the altar, but that's probably not what it was like, right? <laughs>
2: More like on a mattress on the floor, but.
1: (laughs) Ah, Underneath the organ. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So on the record, you have a few traditional songs and you say, I gravitate towards ballads from a strong female perspective, usually about critiquing men and marriage and about the struggle and desperation of being a woman in older times. How do you think those struggles can be related to in modern times? Why are you drawn to, like, those old-timey struggles? I think it's really cool that that
2: there are ballads that have that perspective about a woman, like, from a woman's perspective in the canon of these old songs, because a lot of them are love songs, of course, and then also a lot of them are murder ballads. So... It feels like there's these gems of like true cutting honesty from a woman all the way back then, so that, that gets me. It just the, the tone of it just it feels it feels relevant, as I said, like being it feels like something I can honestly express, even if I haven't mm. lived the same struggle.
1: One of the songs on the album, "Our Ladies." is about uh, an asylum that was uh, near where you were lic- uh, living in Ennis, um, and you were saying that people don't talk about it that much, and then you got some friends to open up about it, and then people started basically just, like, non-stop telling you stories about um, the asylum, and, like, I know a lot of Irish people <laughs> and, like, Irish Catholic people. I'd love to hear more about the stories that you were hearing, and then also, like, what did you take away from that experience about how people in Ireland might just, like, push away things that are painful? Um, And what was it like when they opened up to you about their stories? Yeah, it, to be, honestly, I really only got
2: little tidbits. I don't think anyone ever said how they felt about the place, other than feeling like i was absolutely crazy for getting anywhere near it (laughs) i just could not relate (laughs) uh i didn't get a lot of emotional stories about it but i have had a couple people since the albums come out contact me and just say like i used to play around there as a kid and you know people recognizing it and i wonder i guess i wonder what that's like since it's not talked about so much
1: yeah, just, like, thinking about how hard it is to get Irish family members to, like, open up about things sometimes is, is pretty hard. So I wondered if it, like, yeah, kind of was, it, it sounds like it was a similar situation. Like, oh, we, I don't, I can't do an Irish accent. Like, oh, we don't talk about that, you know. Like, that's private. Yeah.
2: yeah, and it's strange because it's just this big looming thing that no one's doing anything with. What's a cool song. Thank you. <laughs> I was pretty happy with that song. I just really wanted to capture capture the feeling for people that won't ever see it. I was excited that I
1: think I did. And I think everybody's got that, like, local asylum that is closed down that no one talks about. We had one in the town next to ours, and they used to have a haunted house in it, which seems, like, so wrong. <laughs> did you go? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. It was right by the Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. Well, then you get a little... full <laughs> treat when it come
2: out. Yeah. <laughs> get terrified, get nightmares, and then get a little
1: blizzard. Your voice is so striking on your recordings. How did you learn to sing and cultivate your style of singing? Um...
2: I just started doing it. I did some musicals as a kid. I think my first solo was. I can't uh, believe we're just talking about this now. <laughs> Greece. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get really far with that, to be honest, but I did get my one solo, and that was pretty exciting. In Greece? I think I just sang really loud. Yeah, in Greece, yeah. It's not a song that's in the movie, I don't think. I think it's just in the play. Freddie, my love.
1: I don't know that one. But that's awesome. Congratulations. I missing too much. Thank you. Yeah. So proud of you. were <laughs> <laughs> a loud singer.
2: Yeah, so I think that kind of got me going when I was maybe 10. But no one really ever taught me. I just I just sang. And I I try not to think about it too much. I try not to like overthink it or perfect it. Um but when I sang when I was playing with Blackbird Rom, I just had to sing really loud. And I remember playing in, like, squats full of tons of people and just thinking about projecting, like, all the way to the wall. I don't know if that sounded good, but
1: <laughs> it was mm. loud. <laughs> you you were just mentioning, and I've read a lot, that you were playing in squats, um, which I think I know what that is, but can you explain what a squat is? So technically, I guess a squat would just be an abandoned place that,
2: you know, someone or multiple people take over and just live there, just make it their own until, until someone kicks them out. Or I think there's some laws, um, where if you squat something long enough, you can legally get the rights to it. And in Europe, like on that first tour I did with Blackbird Rom, I learned about this massive European squatting culture where people would take over. There were some squatted prisons, um, squatted like world war ii bases um wow. farmhouses yeah collectives of people radical politics like sometimes growing their own food fixing bikes and then yes a lot of these places will just have a venue in the basement so it was kind of a tour of like the squats of europe
1: and it totally blew my mind that's amazing wow And kind of like in in talking about that environment and that like political environment, like you have, I don't know how strongly you feel about this in terms of like political stuff, but you have talked about like the importance of being anti-fascist and have enjoyed being engaged in like far left politics in the US, even though it sounds like in Ireland, that seems far away. But how do you think this side of you impacts your writing or your approach to music?
2: I think it's subconsciously there, especially with traditional material. I'm going to like veer away from old racist ballads, you know, and, but in terms of my actual music, I don't, I think I'm just writing as much from the heart as possible. And it's the venues and the types of promoters I'll work with and, or won't work with that, where that comes across, I think.
1: Mm. Okay. That makes sense you have this really cool history of like just like being like an a righteous punk but you also like play fiddle and like sing beautiful like traditional folk ballads it's like pretty insane (laughs) you have that like duality
2: i guess it's just
1: a been a journey (laughs) (laughs) it still is Before we go, would you mind um, doing the lightning round with me? Yeah, what is that? What do we do? Sounds like a drinking game. It's kind of a drinking game where you answer fun questions that are surface level about yourself. Okay. You'll get all of the answers right, no matter what. Sweet. Have fun. Okay. Here we go. All right, what was the first song you learned on the guitar?
2: I thought I was going to get it right. (laughs) (laughs) it was probably something by the beatles
1: karaoke song my heart will go on (sighs) oh my god Uh, with the fiddle oh yeah i would love to hear that that would be so great yeah (laughs) i'm imagining it it's glorious okay dogs or cats or something else definitely cats what is your coffee order
2: oh over here i don't love flat white
1: Mmm. What is your favorite junk food?
2: Gummies. Sour
1: gummies. First album you bought with your own money?
2: Probably a Punkorama compilation.
1: Yeah, it was. <laughs> First concert? Aaron Carter. Not very punk. Ooh! No! <laughs> that was a surprise. It was yeah. right up there with the musical theater. Yeah, same era. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Uh, flying or invisibility oh
2: nice
1: flying last question where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited
2: It's a tie between donegal in ireland and alaska
1: that's awesome amelia baker you are so rad thank you so much for talking to me today <laughs> i really appreciate it <laughs>
2: thanks Cindy. it was nice to talk to you it was really fun
1: Basic Folk this week, produced by Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music on Basic Folk. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. We are on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. Thanks to them. Uh, And if you liked this episode and uh, thank you want to share it you should because sharing is caring that's what they say um anyways i'll talk to you next time oh yeah one more thing um you can find all the episodes of basic folk anywhere you get your podcasts there's 101 episodes to dig back into Uh, or you can find them at my website cindyhouse.net okay i'll talk to you later okay bye